Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul says it well from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord as they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We turn our attention to something that raises a few eyebrows as Lutherans, confession. Well, pastor, we don't do that, they, a good Lutheran will tell their pastor. We aren't Catholic, we can just go straight to God. Why would we need anybody else? But right here, it stares us in the face. Small Catechism says the fifth chief, chief part is, what is confession? Is that in the Bible? Hmm, let's find out. Do Lutherans do this, or are we just really hidden Catholics? We will find out today. Open up your catechism, and also open up your Bibles, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colcamp, Missouri. Pastor Truey, welcome to Concord Matters. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, Pastor, so tell us, this is our first time together here on Concord Matters. Tell us about yourself, uh, your family, and the work of the saints at Trinity. Sure. So I'm blessed to have a wonderful wife, Jamie. Uh, we've been married 20 years. We celebrated that in October. And uh, the Lord has blessed us with six children. Uh, Naomi is our firstborn. She's 16. All the way down to Eden, the last, uh, we well, maybe our last, uh, who is now just over two. She turned two in August. So we're changing diapers and teaching one to drive and everything in between. So uh, life is quite full. Um, and they're all wonderful, healthy. We're thankful for that. And uh, we, so family is a big part of my life. But uh, here at Trinity, where I serve as senior pastor of a congregation that just last year celebrated its 125th year in a uh, densely Lutheran part of Missouri. We're not in Perry County in southeast Missouri. We're in more central Missouri. Um, so our Part of the state was settled by German immigrants a few years after the Perry County settlement. And uh, Holy Cross is a mother church. There's also St. John's and Mount Holda and then Trinity. So four Missouri Synod Lutheran congregations serving the, the 
the the community of Kohlkamp and the, it's a German farming community. And together with Holy Cross and St. John, we have a Christian day school, the Lutheran School Association. That's K through eight. Although this year we have uh, gone forward and, and uh, started a, a uh, hybrid high school. So it's uh, three days in the building, kind of a self-guided learning. And then Monday and Friday, they do some uh, work, some working apprenticeship, work training kind of stuff. And um, we have a preschool here at Trinity and a school of music. And then in April of every year, Trinity is the host congregation for our marriage and family conference, which is an annual event that gathers uh, pastors for teaching from all over our area and uh, the surrounding states and is a conference that we host for the lay people uh, so that we can equip them and educate them and encourage them in the area of marriage and the family. And, and so this year, I think it'll be our fifth annual uh, marriage and family conference, April 21st and 22nd. So a small German Lutheran farming community, but a lot going on. That is very clear. Um, and a little plug here as well, Pastor Truway and I are uh, connected because our daughters go to the same high school in Missouri at St. Paul Lutheran High School. And so it's a lot of fun to, not only do you have your your hand on all of that around Cole Camp, but also at St. Paul Lutheran High School. So I don't know, you want to share anything about that, how that's been for your family? Oh, we've loved it. We're, you know, we're blessed to be just an hour from Concordia. So it's it's really been a wonderful experience. We're not like uh, the Finners who are uh, much further away. That's a, maybe a bigger leap of faith. We uh, are able to have Naomi and Micah, who's a freshman, home most weekends. And so St. Paul has a five-day dorm package for families who are nearby. They, sh they live there during the week and come home on the weekends. And it's, it's really been wonderful just as far as our family goes. They get a little independence, a family of six kids. They get a little more independence and um, are learning more responsibility. Uh, we think college uh, will be a breeze for them as they're learning some of their independent study habits already in high school and are surrounded by wonderful Christian friends, a lot of whom are pastors' kids or missionary kids or church worker kids, but then also the St. Paul has a huge uh, foreign student population. Um, and so they're getting a, a broader sort of experience being exposed to different cultures and different languages. And, and that's been a wonderful thing. And uh, we're just blessed to, to be close enough to give them that opportunity while still maintaining sort of the closer connections in the family. We can't we can't say enough, and St. Paul's been wonderful uh, to work with and uh, makes it um, able for a family like ours to be able to send our kids there, and we're, we're very thankful for that as well. And, and we are as well. So, Pastor, we're here to talk about the small catechism, which mm -hmm. is obviously in accord with God's Word. And as we look at this, reminder to our listeners, as we are doing our confessional studies, uh, it's always about God's Word. So I do encourage you today to not only have your small catechism open, but also have your Bible open, because never should we separate the two from one another. 
And today we're looking at Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, which is the 2017 version um, from CPH, um, page 25. And it, it says right there on the top, it says confession. And this gets us a little bit confusing. So I better ask Pastor uh, right now is, Pastor, are we just really kind of fake Catholics because we have this confession thing? We don't have a box, of course. You know, we don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. But yet, maybe are we hidden Catholics? How would you respond mm-hmm. to somebody, a good Lutheran who asked that question? A good Lutheran who asked that question. Okay, well, I mean, like, in, in one sense, this is a question that we could ask about so much of the Christian life. Everything from basic things like we have pews. And so do Catholics and their Roman Catholics and their churches, right? Like there, there are so many things that we have in common with Christians of all confessions. And so in one sense, you you know, we, we could be asking that about so much of what we do, right? Um, you know, most pastors have had the experience of, you know, making the sign of the cross and that being a practice that might be foreign uh, to some and wondering if that also is Roman Catholic or, you know, so in one respect, we want to just be honest about that and remember our history and say, well, Luther and the other Lutheran reformers were part of what we would call the conservative reformation. And so what they did not do is get rid of everything. They didn't, you might say, throw the baby out with the bathwater, but they, they wanted to retain that which was in accord with Scripture and was faithful. And so confession ends up being one of these things that they will retain, although they do need to reform it. Because indeed, Rome had, uh, uh, you know, there were serious errors that had crept into the church's teaching with regard to confession and what they would likely know as penance. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So, you know, I I, want to say maybe we want to remember that when we have this idea, are we hidden Catholics with regard to confession or any, any question that comes up with our Lutheran practice, I think sometimes we, we get to that point because there were errors on the part of Rome, but sometimes today we want to be honest about the ignorance that we have on our own part, right? And so we want to avoid both errors, the, the errors of Rome, but our lack of understanding of our own history. And so I hope this show will help to clear up both things. Well, let's dig into it because that's a, there, there's a lot of history that Pastor has touched on. And also, I'll, I want to remind our listeners that as we go through this, we begin with what is confession. Today, we'll be covering what is confession, what sins should we confess, and which are these. And in a few shows from today, we will get to what is the office of the keys, and Pastor Truy will be on for that as well. So, Hold on tight, and like I said, open your catechism and your Bible as we dig in. So let's start with the first question, and I love this, and it's very true as we've covered all the way through this small catechism. It's just that simple. What is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, 
and second, that we receive absolution. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Pastor, this gets broken down very simple. How about you break it down even more simple for us, what Luther is saying about confession? Sure. So the first sentence, right? Confession has two parts. This statement would have struck a chord, or not a chord, it would have been a disharmony in many of the ears of, of, hmm. of his day. Because in fact, uh, Christians were coming out of the Roman error of teaching penance, which had three parts, not two, but three. They were uh, contritio, confessio oris, and satisfaction operum. Okay, so what is that? It's, it, it's um, contrition, confession orally, so speaking your sins out loud. But then the third part, satisfaction, which was to make satisfaction for temporal consequences for your sinful actions. And so this is the, the error that Luther identifies. Um, and, and we want to remember that Luther was always fighting against sort of two opposite errors, the legalistic enslavement of the conscience that was a result of the Roman Catholic error of penance and the, and, and, and literally the, uh, obligatory requirement for every Christian to go to confession and, uh, to do these three parts, to have sorrow, to confess out loud, and then to make satisfaction for the temporal consequences of your sins. And so that's the one error, but on the other side, it's very clear that Luther will get to this, but he's, he's also concerned all the time of sort of the misuse of freedom that we not become lawless. So Luther's not an antinomian, but so back to the text, confession has two parts. I, and, and I, I love this analogy. I hope this, um, is helpful for our, our hearers. There's not three parts, and it, I've never seen a three-sided coin. I use this analogy of a two-sided coin, right? Uh, and also, there's no such thing as a one-sided coin. You can't get a coin that becomes so thin that it only has one side. At, at that point, it disappears and it doesn't exist, hmm. right? You always have a two-sided coin. And likewise, confession will always have two parts. First, that the sinner confesses his or her sins. This is contrition. This is uh, being sorrowful for our sins. This is illustrated, uh, I think, helpfully by the parable of the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son in Luke 15, right? He is lost, and the text says that he comes to his senses, and he admits that I have sinned, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But then, while he devises a plan to work his way back by becoming, asking his son to become a slave, sort of working his way back into the good graces of his father, which we might say is kind of like satisfaction, the third part, when he gets to his father, or I, I might say when his father gets to him and runs to him, he, his father only allows him to confess. Father, I have sinned. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And while he may have been ready to make his request to do penance or to make satisfaction as a slave, his father will hear none of it and simply interrupts the son, gives him a kiss, puts his ring on his finger, says the says the slaughter the fattened calf because what was lost is found. And so the confession is followed immediately by an absolution. Second, that we receive absolution, which is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, right? There's, there's no third part, no making satisfaction for sins because in fact, Luther knows and he wants his hearers to know that the death of Jesus on the cross has made full atonement for all sin. There's no satisfaction left to be made, or that would make Christ's sacrifice incomplete. And Jesus said, it is finished. And this is the part where it's very easy for us to think, well, I need to make satisfaction. So, okay, I feel bad. And, and you hear this all the time in our culture where people will say, I made this mistake. I'm going to make up for it with this. Now, that's kind of, that's our natural inclination mm -hmm. as human beings. And so why is it so hard? And maybe, maybe I'm already answering my own yeah. question, but why is it so hard? I mean, we skip the satisfaction and we kind of feel uncomfortable. We get forgiven and we're like, well, wait, is it that easy? What would you tell somebody that says, well, that's too easy? What would you say? Well, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I would say, yes, that is the natural response. And that's illustrated in the, in the prodigal son, right? And we see that, that it's his natural response to think that he's now going to do something to earn it, right? To earn it back. So we understand that. But to the response that then it's too easy, you know, I would ask, I would ask such a person to consider whether or not it was easy for Christ to do what he did. You know, when we think about the second article of the creed, you know, that we were purchased, not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood, right? And his innocent suffering and death. And that's not something that's easy. It's, it's a great purchase price, but it's just not paid by us. And that's the good news, is that it's, it's quite a price. It, it costs Jesus his life, but he pays it for us. And, and so it isn't that it's easy, but it's that we're not the ones that are asked to pay it. And that's the free gift of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And that's what absolution is. It's not a thing that is earned by the sinner. 
but a thing that is given freely by God for the sake of Christ. As we look at the words that Luther uses, which is, I I have this vision of Martin Luther writing this, and there's a background to why he writes it so clearly and very intentionally. So he could have just ended with, second, that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from the pastors from God himself, period. I mean, he could have ended right there. It just could have been very easy. But it says, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Pastor, did you do any study on why does he include the not doubting, but firmly believing piece to this in that context? And why is that important for us today? Yeah, good. Uh, So Luther is at heart a pastor right? And so as a pastor, he is always concerned with the conscience of the people he is serving and and to make sure that they have the peace that passes all understanding through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in fact, their consciences would be cleansed and and cleared of any guilt or shame that might be lingering through their inability to to fulfill the law of God, which is always the case, right? The, the law is always going to accuse. And so it's not simply enough for Luther to say that, that your sins are forgiven, but in fact, there is a result that the declaration of the forgiveness of sins results in peace when the hearer through faith grasps a hold of the promise. So he does the same thing with baptism. Whoever has faith in these words has what they say, right? And he does the same thing with the sacrament of the altar, which you'll get to, right? Mm. And so it's, it's not simply that we would say this, but it doesn't benefit the person if the person doesn't believe that the words are true. So you're going to get in one of your next shows to a discussion of sort of the simple right of confession. And, you know, in, in Lutheran service book, the right that we have, that we use uh, in, in our ministry today, right before we speak the absolution, we ask the person, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? And they say, yes. <laughs> um, because it's, you know, this is, this is at the heart, right, of, of the Pharisees questioning Jesus when he uh, forgives the paralytic. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone, right? Well, that's true. But Jesus has given that authority to forgive sins to men who carry out the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins that has its source in him. So this is why the pastor, when he speaks the absolution, says, in the stead and by the command of Christ, forgive you all your sins. It's not his authority. It's, it's, it's a duty that he carries out by the command of Christ. And so the authority rests in Jesus and his sure and certain words. And so the, Luther does this firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven because he wants to make sure that the person who hears the absolution knows that these are the sure and certain words of Jesus and not just the words of a man 
who is wearing robes and sitting in the chancel, but that the man wearing the robes and sitting in the chancel is in fact just simply speaking the words of Christ as he does when he baptizes someone or, or uh, presides over the sacrament of the altar. And that is something where I remember watching a movie once where somebody went into a confession and they confessed their sin to the priest. And, and once again, I'm not, this is not rail on the Catholics time. This yeah. is, we're trying to make that distinction of who we are and, and how we do this and why we do it. And according to the gospel and the scriptures is he went in, he confessed it. I, crazy enough, the, the priest is like, you're forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you're like, this is great. You know, they're, they're, he's becoming Lutheran. This is great. Yeah. And then and what happened is he said, now go and do these things to fulfill uh-huh. this forgiveness. And it was just fascinating to see that. So, Pastor, when we will go through confession absolution, and this is something that you'll see on Sunday morning, as you said, by and by his authority, you know, it says that very clearly in the absolution piece. We then just end, as we often will say here on Concord Matters, we end with what God's word says, which is, you're forgiven. Instead of saying, and then you have to do mm-hmm. this. And Pastor, why is that so important? Oh, man. Because the gospel finally hits <laughs> the last word, right? Um and it's not going to be tainted by then anything else we have to do. But in fact, the, the cross of Christ was sufficient. It, it was finished. His blood was shed for all our sin. And the, and the gospel is a word that is proclaimed and then is believed. We, we actually don't see that our, that our neighbor or ourselves either or holy, or righteous. Like, yeah, we, we, we must believe what Christ asserts, that you are forgiven. And this, then, is, is the challenge. But it's, it's, as we live together in our families or in our congregations, to, to believe that, that my neighbor or my, my son or my wife or myself has actually been forgiven, and therefore we want to treat them as being forgiven, you know, I, th- I think in terms of application, I, I think of a, of a husband who's called by Paul to present his wife as holy and without blemish. Which, in regard to the law, is never true. Mm-hmm. E- except that when a husband and wife are Christians and have been absolved, and then also dine together at the Lord's Supper and, and have the same word of forgiveness spoken to them, he is able to present his wife as holy and without blemish. But that's also then true for the whole body of Christ, who is together hearing the forgiveness of sins spoken by the authority of Christ, so that when we doubt that my brother who was there with me is forgiven, we're actually not doubting my brother, we're doubting the word of Christ. So if, we, if we're going to hold a sin against someone in the congregation who Jesus has said is forgiven, see, we, we do damage not just to my brother, but, but to the word of Christ, because Christ Jesus himself has said that that brother is forgiven. 
And that's, that's why this is important. It's important for the Christian conscience, for yourself, but also for how we see our neighbors in the Christian community who we gather together with in, in the divine, divine service. There's so much to be said here, Pastor Finney. There always is. And that's why, unfortunately, we need to take our break to speak to this more. We are studying confession and absolution in Luther's small catechism, and we'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back. We are studying what God's Word has to say about confession and absolution in Luther's small catechism with explanation with Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Cole Camp, Missouri. Pastor, you have laid the groundwork for us about what is confession. And I want to I take uh, kind of along with that is, okay, we've established that this is about the gospel, that this is a, it is finished uh, a moment of proclamation, not by my authority, not by Pastor Truey's authority, but by Christ's authority, a person is found righteous and forgiven because of his cross and empty tomb. Pastor, when I talk about confession and absolution, before we get to the next question, uh, does Scripture actually say things about this? And if so, what part of Scripture does? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this is uh, Luther's chief concern when he's correcting those those errors is that we've we've root our teaching in the command and institution of the words of Christ. And in fact, there's three places in the New Testament specifically where Jesus himself gives the authority to forgive sins. So Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20, when you get to the office of the keys, John 20 is the biblical text that's right there in the small catechism to be learned by heart by the Christian. But we have Matthew 16. So this is when Jesus asks Peter, uh, well, he asks all his disciples, who do people say that I am, right? And Peter responds on behalf of the disciples, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not received, revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Right? And then he goes on to talk about how he's going to go into Jerusalem, suffer and die, and be handed over, handed over and die. And Peter says, well, maybe this never happened to you, right? Well, in fact, before that discussion, Jesus tells Peter that you are Peter, and on this rock, this confession of Christ, I will build my church, and I give to you the keys of the kingdom. And who, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And Whoever sins you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. He repeats those, those words again in Matthew 18 in the context of talking about how to care for a brother who has fallen into sin. And your hearers will remember that, right? Go once, um, 
just you and your brother to discuss that. And if he doesn't hear you, then take one or two others to establish fact and continue to care for him, still not telling anybody because you care for your brother and love covers a multitude of sins. And at any time we rejoice if there's repentance as the angels in heaven rejoice. But if there's no repentance at, at some point, then we tell it to the church and the person is treated as a pagan or a tax collector and has no fellowship with those who are what? Confessing and being forgiven. And, and in, it's in that context that Jesus repeats the words about whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The, the third time is John 20, the evening of Easter, uh, when Jesus appears to his disciples locked together and uh, for fear of the Jews. And he says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Well, what did the Father send Jesus to do but to forgive sins? And so now that's what he is going to be uh, tasking, commissioning, calling the disciples who would become apostles to do for their hearers. And then he repeats those words, whoever sins they forgive, they are forgiven, and whosoever sins they do not forgive, they are not forgiven. Also, one other place where uh, specifically your hearers will, will know this from their life in the church and in the liturgy, but uh, in settings one and two of Lutheran service book, uh, we, we, you know, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that, those words are taken from 1 John chapter 1, direct quotation of Scripture, where there the apostle writes to the church and promises that when they confess their sins, God will forgive them. And he does that through his called and ordained servants. So yes, there's a lot of places in the scripture that that talk about, you know, the forgiveness of sins being articulated and given to those who confess their sins. And this is where, and we, we're going to be hitting this every single episode that we have on confession. Just okay, what is it? What's happening? And and I'm finding myself, even as a pastor, um, when I'm able to go and worship with my family that when that moment occurs in confession absolution, which typically um, happens, it happens in Lutheran churches, that's like the first thing you do besides sing a hymn, is boom, you're, you're, you're repenting, boom, you're forgiven, that that moment is like this highlight, like you're at a mm -hmm. um, the baseball game or a football game or the touchdown, and then it just keeps coming more and more gifts as you go, but boy, that one really hits home big time because right there especially when i'm sitting with my family you realize i failed i mean i failed as a father i've failed as 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 a husband i failed in this and there you are declared as you've said so well to this point pastor you are declared righteous on account of christ and that forgiveness is real not doubting which think about that how much we doubt every single day everything that we're doing but here this one is sure and certain Pastor, how would you speak to the to to our listeners now that you know they kind of go to church and they just kind of ugh, you know it's kind of whatever and and why is that part of the service so important when they go to worship? Oh, it's it. 
I mean, this will drive us into the next question, honestly, but um, yes. if we don't know our sin, then we don't need Jesus, and we, we will not rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. And so that part in the service becomes such a joy and, and, and vital to our lives, just like the supper, just like baptism, just like faithful preaching becomes a joy to the penitent Christian because he or she actually knows his or her sin. And, and so when we know our sin, we know how tainted we are, how, how much our thoughts and our words and our deeds are, are just like even the good we do, right? We, we only do it through the flesh and the weakness that we have. And so we struggle to do it, right? Like, yes, I did the right thing, but man, I had to talk myself into it, you know, because I'm so weak instead of loving freely, right? So we're so tainted. We are, we are sinful completely. When we know that, and then, and then we, we hear that Christ, because of his death and resurrection, forgives all of it? It's tremendous. And, and I, I got to tell you, um, it wasn't until I was a pastor that I actually uh, did this, went to private confession. And I, I mean, I've been a Lutheran my whole life and, you know, participated in the corporate confession, you know, my whole life and believed it. But it wasn't until I, I was a pastor and I was kneeling before uh, an older pastor who I had asked to serve in that way. And, and uh, I knew, I trusted that he would only tell me the truth and I needed him to tell me the truth. That's what we need out of our pastor, whether it's the law or the gospel. And I was, I was shaking as I said out loud, sins that had been terrifying my conscience for years and years, because I, I, I was afraid to talk about them and admit them and, and be, you know, open and honest about them. You know, we all have skeletons in our closet, but there it was, I was kneeling before him and I said it out loud. And he said, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes. And he stood up and he put his hands on my head. And he said, let it be done for you as you believe in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He spoke a few other passages. You'll talk about this in your next episode. But then go in peace. Amen. And I was like a calf being released from the storm. I was leaping with joy. I don't know that I actually jumped off the ground, but I mean, that, <laughs> the, the joy of like that one too was died for by Jesus and needing to hear it. And that, you see, is at the heart of Luther's pastoral concern for retaining the absolution. For him, it's... It's we retain the confession because that's necessary for the absolution, which is what he will fight to keep wherever it's going to be proclaimed in one-on-one -on -one, private with the pastor and the person or 
with fellow Christians, with a father and his children, with a wife and and her husband, uh, or as he says in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, as we pray the Lord's Prayer and we confess our sins, right? Wherever we know that the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed, that's what Luther wants to fight to protect for the sake of the Christian conscience. And it's a joy. And that's why that part in the service is so important. It's also why, by the way, when a, when a sermon is proclaimed and, and the hearers are convicted of their sins in the sermon and then have the gospel proclaimed for that sin in the sermon, they have joy. And when they go and they kneel at the rail and they receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of the sins that have been terrifying their conscience, they return to their seats with joy at the mercy of God given for the sake of Christ. It's beautiful. I think it's time to go to church. That's what I think. And yeah. I encourage our I encourage our listeners tomorrow that just go to worship and really pay attention to exactly what Pastor has just said. But maybe I'm not sure how to say this. Maybe get a little bit of a fist bump when you uh, when Pastor does that. Uh, you know that uh, you're forgiven in the sake of Christ. I don't know. Maybe a Trinity will encourage our listeners to kind of give a little bit of whoop whoop after Pastor gives that forgiveness. And Anyways, maybe not. You know we'll what see. the fist bump is? It's 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 Amen. It's amen. Right? When you speak the absolution or you end your sermon or you, you know, you give the, the blessing at the end of communion and you hear you hear the saints say amen, like you actually hear it. Right. What that's a true. joy that is. That's true. Right? Because mm-hmm. that's they're mm-hmm. saying, I believe that my sins are forgiven before God in heaven. And there's no greater joy for the pastor. I love it. I love yeah. it. So one of the, we've spoken a lot about a clear conscience and that clear conscience comes that your sins are forgiven. And, and in this life, we're like, I want that. I want that. And, but it brings up questions that go beyond that. Okay, I want this. I want this. And this is why I love this part of the small catechism that is often, I want to say overlooked, but it's not focused on nearly as much as other parts of the small catechism. So to give a clear conscience to, uh, to, like you said, Luther's pastoral heart, he adds these next questions to help them not doubt this forgiveness by showing them, okay, what do I confess? And giving us some very clear teachings about why it's important and how we should look at this. So I will actually, Pastor, I'm going to read the next two questions and the answers that Luther gives um, according to God's word. Good. So what sins should we confess? Before God, we should plead guilty of all sins even those we are not aware of, as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. And which are these? Consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? Pastor, let's begin with the first question. It says, you know, I've heard this before. Someone says, you know, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, you know, we're all a sinner, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, we should all confess that. But here, he's kind of nailing us to the ground. He's like, but you should confess those sins which you know and feel in, in our hearts. What is, what is he, why is he? kind of nail us to the ground yeah, to, yeah. 
to confess specific sins. Yeah. So I, I've said this to, to my people. Um, I said, I, I don't think there's any, any one of us who would say that we're not sinners. You know, like even in America, right? Like, no, that's like the, the unforgivable sin is, is to be arrogant or to think that you're perfect or something like that. Right. Like, like everyone is going to, going to admit that they're not perfect. And, and we are really good at saying, yes, we're all sinners. But I, I would, I, I would think, I, I mean, I think this is what I've observed in, in my time of ministry is that oftentimes our people are not actually able to articulate what sins they've committed because they don't know what word of God they've transgressed. Mm. Okay. See, sin isn't simply that someone else thinks you've done something wrong. In fact, you can be, you can be doing good works, loving works that other people just don't like, you know, like my kids don't like it when I discipline them. Right. So it's not like the sin is determined by how other people think we've behaved. A sin is determined by what the word of God says. And so if we don't know the word of God, we don't know the, the Ten Commandments, we don't actually know our sins. Like we, we haven't gone off the horse on the other side where we're saying we're not sinners or something like that, but we don't actually know our sins. We don't know the damage we're doing. And, and in the preface of, of the small catechism, Luther talks about how, you know, he had done his visitation and the people, they don't, they don't know the Ten Commandments or the Creed or the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and so this teaching of confession is connected to that, right? It, to know your sins, you actually have to know the text. The, you actually have to know the text of the Ten Commandments. And, and I think if we went like, I mean, I, I don't want to be too hard on our hearers or on pastors or our congregations, but I've actually done the study. This was part of my D-Min study. So my people know this because they were the ones who filled out the surveys uh, five years ago when I, when I arrived. But um, even our regular lifelong Lutherans who are in Bible class every week, the majority of them could not recite the Ten Commandments. They might have been able to pick out, like if I gave them a list of 15 possibilities that sounded like the Ten Commandments, they'd probably be able to pick out the Ten Commandments from that list. But if you said, like, what's the Third Commandment, or what's the Seventh Commandment, or the Ninth Commandment, or the, right? Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be able to just identify the Ten Commandments or, or to recite them. So, so if we don't know God's law and his instruction for our lives and how, how to live in love toward God and the neighbor, how do we know our sins? And this is what Luther is encouraging. So, and that's why then the third question is so important. Which are these sins, right? Which are the sins? Not, not simply that I'm pleading guilty as a sinner in the Lord's prayer, but the particular sins that I've committed against my, 
my my neighbor. Wherever that happened in the home or at work or as I was driving by, speeding <laughs> on vacation or something like that and got upset because someone was going too slow. Like, what are the sins that I've actually committed against my neighbor? And you're going to find those out by considering your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. By using the Ten Commandments, and I would add to that, all of the law of God that is given to us in Holy Scripture, right? So even when Paul or, or Jesus are, are expounding on the Ten Commandments, right? Um, consider your place in life according to the law. So, you know, use the law as the mirror God has given it to be. And then think about your offices. You're going to get to this when we do the table of duties. And I think I'm doing that with you, right? But God has actually, for every, uh, all of his people, he calls them to certain offices, not occupations, but vocations, right? The first is Christian. And then we have child of our parents, fourth commandment. And then we grow up and maybe we get married or we're friend, right? And then we're husband or wife, and then we become parents. And it's in these offices that we commit our sins. And so our sins are committed against the people that God calls us to serve and to love in our offices. And when we begin to think like that, we won't have a shortage of specific sins to confess. But in fact, when we get to that point in, in the service where we have a moment of silence, we'll start to go, well, I was still confessing. Why did the pastor go on? <laughs> exactly. Right? Or, oh, or and this yeah. is to the point, right? Or, in fact, we'll discover that our conscience is stricken because why does, why do I keep sinning against that person, that same person? I should be... Why do I keep struggling? Is there something wrong with me? Yada, yada, yada. And over time, that begins to plague your conscience. And this is what Luther means when he says we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. He's speaking about the conscience that, that, be, that is living in terror and cannot believe anymore that the gospel is for you because of that particular sin. Right? And in that situation, if you've if you're a hearer that, that has begun to doubt whether or not the absolution is for you because of some certain sin, where you hear the sermon and you're like, would the pastor say I'm forgiven if he knew what I did? That's when the gift of private confession and absolution is such a treasure and a gift to God's people because you speak that sin out loud to the called and ordained servant who will only speak the truth to you. And he hears it and he says, yes, that one too. Died for by Jesus, covered with the blood of Christ. And so in the said, by the command of Jesus, I forgive you of your sins. That one too. And then he might add, you know, a promise from Isaiah, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you. But so, you know, getting back to these questions, I guess in short, to summarize, like, if we don't know the Ten Commandments and we're not thinking in terms of our vocation and our offices, we're not actually going to know the specific sins that we've committed. So when we know the Word of God in the law, 
and we know the offices to which God has called us, we're going to know our sins, and then our joy will increase every time the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in the absolution, preaching, or otherwise. As Pastor mentions this about the Ten Commandments, one of the real joys that we have in certain prayer offices in our uh, Lutheran service book, for example, prayer and preaching, part of the service is that you confess the Ten Commandments. Because, you know, even, there, I mean, there's always moments where you will say, well, what's the Third Commandment? And you kind of have to stop and think a little bit. And we all assume we know it so well. And, and there's other parts. I've seen pastors, um, churches that will include that in the bulletin, that they will have those Ten Commandments available. And, and as pastors said so well, too, there were times where people were like, after service, I needed more time for confession today, yeah. which, is just, which is phenomenal. But these words, and we have about four minutes left in our time, Pastor, and I wanted to for surely ask this. Yeah. But it says, but before the pastor, we should confess only those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. Luther, once again, as a pastor, is very concerned that people aren't spending all day in fear that they did not confess all their sins. And that seems like it was a problem then. Is that still a problem today? Yeah. And, 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 you know, how do we address it? Oh, for sure. So, you, you know, on the one hand, we want to talk about the, 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 the person who abuses freedom and thinks there is no law, right? On the other hand, the person who lives in terror and, you know, this was Luther's problem that drove him, uh, you know, in the monastery, right, to search the scriptures. And then he finds a gracious God because he couldn't dig it up. He, he would spend hours in confession. And he'd get out of confession. And he'd think of one more. And he would think, oh, if I forgot one sin, I don't have forgiveness of sins. I don't have the grace of God. God will be against me if I haven't been able to articulate every one. Well, if you read the Psalms, we da David is so clear that he, you know, he doesn't even know all his sins. He, he forgive me of the sins I'm, I'm not aware of, right? Like, and 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 so this is on on the one hand we want to guard against free, you know, abuse of freedom and lawlessness. On the other hand, Luther does not want you to invent sins. And by the way, this is also why it's important to know the Word of God, because if someone accuses you of a sin, and, and, and it's not actually a sin, you haven't transgressed the Word of God, that's, you're not guilty of sinning. So, you know, it's, it's like we want to make sure that our conscience is dialed in and informed by the Word of God, not by how people perceive our actions. Now, do we need to be loving and patient and kind and, and careful with our words? Absolutely. That's the call of every Christian to speak carefully, to bear the burdens of others, and, and to you know be quick to listen and slow to speak, for sure. Right? But if, if, if we do something and... and as a Christian, and people just don't like it because it, we're Christian and they, they, they don't understand. That's not sin. And so we, we can't al allow other people to accuse us of, of, of false sins 
but nor do we want to be spending all day sort of just in terror thinking that there is no hope because I'm only a sinner. In, in that situation, I would say to, to our hearers, call your pastor. If you need to, if you, if the devil is causing you to doubt the gospel, the only solution to that is to hear it articulated for you again and to name the thing that is causing you to be in fear of the, of not having forgiveness before God, name it and your pastor will be Christ's servant to assure you of the forgiveness of sins for that as well. Pastor Greg Truey of Trinity Lutheran Church in Colcamp, Missouri, clearly confessing the truth of confession and absolution according to God's word. Pastor Truey, thank you for your faithful teaching on Concord Matters. God be praised. Thank you, Brady. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Fenderin. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.